welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. My guest today is Peter Russell, who's one of the visionary voices of our time. With a background in mathematics and theoretical physics from Cambridge University, he later turned his attention to the study of the mind and heart, diving into meditation and psychology, and eventually into the simple elegance of presence as the primary expression of being. Along the way, he's written many books, led hundreds of Dharma courses, and spoken at conferences all over the world. He also finds time to lead groups uh, on an annual swim with dolphins uh, off the big island of Hawaii, which seems to be an especially lovely way to experience simple presence. I met Peter sometime in the 1980s, though I can't remember where. I first heard of him at the time uh, when the magazine for which I was working put him on its cover with the publication of his first book, The Global Brain. This book predicted the advent of humanity's full connectivity through global and instantaneous com communications, now known as the Internet, and looked at what seemed to be the glorious possibilities therein. At that time, Peter foresaw an awakening of planetary consciousness due to the potential of shared ideas and mutual understanding, born of recognizing our common human needs. And of course, while there's been a flowering of consciousness in understanding ourselves, the Internet has also been a force for the exponential acceleration of life on planet Earth, uh, which seems an acceleration that likely spells our doom. And such is the subject of our conversation in this podcast and the reason that I'm going to offer a disclaimer. Unbeknownst to us until recently, Peter and I have been studying climate science for the past couple of years and have come to similar dire conclusions about what lies ahead for our species, not in a distant future, but in the near future. This is a subject that we've both tried out in conversations at dinner parties or with friends along the way, and we've independently discovered that there are very few people so far who are ready to hear this and that's understandable, of course. Mostly people respond with denial, disbelief, or anger, and or what we call, in certain circles, hopium, uh, a belief that somehow technology will save us. So please know, should you go any further in listening to this podcast, that we have no desire to convince anyone about what is going to happen or to persuade anyone to our point of view. This podcast is instead an offering for those who have a sense that the unraveling has begun and is intensifying, for those who want to feel that they're not alone in seeing it, and for those who want to find a way to bear it. Peter, welcome. Lovely to be with you. <laughs> Old friend. Um, yes. Um, I've been reading your wonderful essay on your website called Blind Spot, um, and it's I, I find it quite fascinating. Of course, I agree with almost everything you posit here, um, but I was I'm quite um, intrigued by your emphasis on the crisis of acceleration 
on the, it, it's so true once you think about it, of course, and there's a way in which we all, all probably, anyone paying attention is sensing, of course, this kind of exponential speed up. But I really found it quite interesting the way that you wove that into the fabric of the of the crises, multiple crises that we're experiencing. And I wonder if you if you would speak about that a bit. Yes. Uh, it's something which has intrigued me ever since I was a teenager. I was a mathematician and I got fascinated by exponential growth then and how we we don't really see the long-term implications of exponential growth. And, and then later I explored this in my book, the white hole in time which was really looking at the whole of the history of the universe has been accelerating and we're just moving faster and faster and faster towards something and people like ray kurzweil and people they've picked up this more recently and they're looking at it from a very sort of technological almost you know utopian point of view that we're going to come to this stage where in 10 20 years time we're going to have computers smarter than humans and the whole thing will take off and go even faster and even faster and the blind spot is what it refers to i think there's two blind spots we have about this acceleration i mean the general feeling is it's on the one hand it's great because we're moving faster and faster into wonderful new worlds and yet at the same time you know we all have to live with this and we're finding our pace of life is changing we've got more things to do computers haven't bought the leisure society they've done the opposite we're now faced with so many emails a day we have to respond to, and we've got to do this, and we've got to upgrade our software, and this has to happen. Yeah. <clears throat> so many more people can reach us and all of this. Yeah. So that's also happening. The blind spots I see are two. Um, one is we don't look at the negative effects of the acceleration in technological growth. And these negative effects, I mean, the, the clearest ones are the effects upon the environment. I mean, global warming, for example, climate change is because we are producing CO2, releasing CO2 in the atmosphere many, many, many times faster than the planet can reabsorb it. Yes. If we, normally, the planet can reabsorb it. It's got, but there's lots of natural mechanisms. Like trees. Because, <laughs> trees and oceans and rocks. And... But we've accelerated our technological growth. We've accelerated our industrial production. We are burning fossil fuels a million times faster than they were laid down. That's all part of this acceleration, which we, on the one hand, think is wonderful. And yet it's, it's producing an accelerating amount of waste of CO2. The population explosion, again, is yeah. an acceleration which comes about because, you know, we, we look for better medical care, better sanitation, better ways of feeding people. All of that has fueled the population growth. Um, the accelerating decrease in resources, particularly, you know, some of the metals like copper and things all come from this accelerating consumption. And almost everywhere we look, we see this pattern of acceleration is either the cause of it or exacerbating the problem. Yes. And the acceleration is not going to go away. No. <laughs> this is this this is the bit that we have to, that people find difficult to grasp. This I is know. the real difficult bit. 
And the reason for the acceleration is that each new development, each new advance actually facilitates future advances. So it makes more advance easier and quicker. Right. People Uh, don't understand the exponential factor. People think in linear terms. And our thinking is, yes, we, we can only think in linear terms. Our minds aren't designed to think exponentially. Um, you know, when we do, we have these sort of, you know, examples like, you know, if you fold a piece of paper over twice and then fold it four times then fold it again, so it's eight times thick and then fold it again, you know, how thick will it be after 20 folds, you know, or reach somewhere near the moon or right. something. Mm-hmm. And we just can't grasp what happens when things pile on top of each other. We can't think exponentially. So when we look at the future, we tend to take a linear extrapolation of where we are now. Things are changing this fast now, so 10 years' time, it's going to be 10 times that. But it won't. It'll be 50, 100 times that. So this is part of the problem. We can't think exponentially. But the exponential growth cannot be stopped because it is – it's a feature of any system where you've got positive feedback, where – the state of affairs affects the future state. The more people you've got, the more children are being born, the bigger the population grows. The more money you've got in the bank, the more interest, the more it grows. But it seems it, very peculiar yeah. to the human animal that this uh, enterprise of acceleration has been so popular. Right. Well, it's taken off. You can see it all the way back through evolution. You can see how you know, the advent of sexual reproduction in simple cells accelerated yeah. evolution. You can see it how vertebrates accelerated evolution. I think what happened with Homo sapiens is a fundamental thing is language. We can share our ideas with each other. We can share our learnings. We start becoming a culture. So instead of us, each, each one of us learning something from scratch, we're learning from each other. And that's what education is. But we've become a society learning from the past, learning from those around us. And we have tools and technology. We are learning how to make better tools. And we use all of this to create a better world. The knowledge we're getting, what we're learning from each other, the scientific knowledge we're getting, the tools we're developing. We apply it all to how can we make life more comfortable? How can we make life safer? How can we feed ourselves better? Whatever it is. And and the important thing here is there's no blame, I feel. I don't feel there's anywhere we've gone wrong. I think we've done everything with the best of intentions. Later, it may have turned out that it wasn't such a good idea, but nobody... A hundred years ago, foresaw what would happen when we started burning vast amounts of oil. One Norwegian saw it at the end of the yeah. in 1894 or something, and nobody yeah. took any notice. Right. He we, predicted uh, global yeah, warming, yeah. Yes, but he was ignored. Right. So, as, as is, most of the client, climate scientists <laughs> are, are ignored by uh, certain members of our country today. Yes, yes. <laughs> we don't want to hear it because we don't want to give up our comforts things that are so you know we love so so we're on this curve as i say with the best of intentions but everything we produce you know the industrial revolution great advance and that then paved the way so that when we went into the information revolution we didn't need to reinvent factories or mass production or distribution systems we could just plug them in 
And so that could take off much faster. And it required, in a way, less manufacturing on a much more subtle level it was happening. So Yeah, I, I really I, love this perspective of yours, of the, the no blame. And it's, you know, when I'm in my quietest moments, I certainly see that, that it was just, um, it was evolution rolling out just as it did, you know. Just, just as it did. Just as yep. it did. Uh, and it wasn't just one or two people rolling it out. It was, it, it's, you know, it's built on billions of minds doing yes. their human thing. and Doing their human thing and each of them trying in their own way to make life a bit better. Yes. Maybe, so, some, maybe some more beautifully motivated than others, but nevertheless, yes, as, as yes. a kind of general thrust of humanity, it's right. been going in this direction for a very long time. Now, back to the acceleration thing, um, you know, of course, one of the things you mentioned in the in the essay, which pretty much everyone who studies any kind of um, science would know, is that at some point of acceleration, things break apart. And, uh, you know, that that's just a law of physics, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, I, I like it to a wheel. If you spin a wheel faster yeah. and faster and faster, it eventually fragments. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this is the piece that it seems that we're being treated to here as we're watching what's going on. Because, uh, you know, from the time of the 1700s, the Industrial Revolution, um, you know, people were experiencing things getting better and better and better, seemingly, from mm-hmm. their technological advances. But now we're clearly at a point where many of us, you know, I'm not at all a fan of Kurzweil. I can't stand that whole view, you know. <laughs> um, you know, many people are deeply questioning mm-hmm. uh, the technological tyranny under which we live. Yes, I mean, I, well, Kurzweil in particular, I mean, they, they are living, I think they're living in this illusion. Um, they're living in this illusion that technology is wonderful, is going to save us. And they they do not see the costs of technology, either the costs, you know, on, on us as individuals, what, what you're talking about, you know, how enslaved we get by yeah. it, and, how, and the cost on the environment. And well, I, that's the I, thing, too. And let me, if you don't mind if I interrupt yeah. here, I, I sometimes wonder if those people, and I, you know, uh, if there's not a great dissociation from nature, that they, that they really have no use for nature. They they basically live on screens and in their heads and uh, yes, they don't I care they, that, that there's not going to be another, you know, a green thing left. I, do some, I think that's probably a bit extreme. I, I know some of these people and I've actually gone out, you know, Saturday afternoon cycling with them. Yeah. You know, we have great, we stop for picnics and have great discussions. And their view is, you know, oh, this is just pessimistic. You know, we will find the answers. When we have all these supercomputers, much more intelligent than human beings, they will be able to work out what's going wrong. They will be able to change things. They will be, you know, be able to help us. We don't need to worry. That seems, you know, part of the belief system there. And you know, yet at the same time, if we've got economic systems breaking down, political systems breaking down, social systems breaking down, you know, I, I also ask, will we ever get to the stage where we can develop these computers or will right. we end up in a sort of urban chaos? Right. And wouldn't then? it be more safe to be uh, 
predicting based on what we're actually seeing now rather than yes. some fantasy of how things could be. I mean, yeah. we can sort of see the future from what's going on now. <laughs> yeah. And things are getting shaky in so yeah. many areas. And this I see is the result of the acceleration, that the acceleration puts stress onto systems. Yes. And the more stress that builds up, the more vulnerable they come become to breakdown. Yeah. And all sorts of systems, I say, whether it's, you know, economic, social, political, geopolitical systems, our own personal systems, family systems, our own body systems. Our society, be, you know, every yeah. other day we have a mass yeah. shooting in this country almost. I mean, we had two in the past week. I know. And now we just say, oh, oh, where was that one? Another one. Yeah, yeah I know. It's so common now. It doesn't even keep, it doesn't, it hardly has a day's news cycle. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing about the acceleration and the other part of the blind spot. So, so for me, the blind spot, one is that, you know, we think acceleration is just going to take us into this wonderful new world. We're blind to the negative impact of the acceleration. The other blind spot, and it's a much, much deeper blind spot we have, is that there's a long-term future for us. Mm -hmm. that, you know, once we solve our problems, whatever it is, we will then live happily ever after, mm -hmm. or may not be happily ever after, but then we have, you know, hundreds, thousands, millions of years. I was watching something last night by, um, what's his name, the guy who does Cosmos, the new guy. Um, oh, yeah. Um, um, Tyson deGrasse. Yeah. And he's talking about, you know, well, millions of years from now, hundreds of millions of years now, what we'll be seeing in the universe, you know, yeah. is if, he said, if we survive the apocalypse, then hundreds of millions of years from now, what we'll be seeing is this. If we survive the apocalypse, life isn't going to be going on a steady, linear, not even linear growth. No. Everybody assumes it's somehow going to be flat. Yeah. And that won't be the case. We will be just as creative, just as inventive, we will be on an even steeper accelerating curve. We will be moving even faster than we are now. There's no way that the acceleration is suddenly going to stop and we all end up in this steady state where everything is fine, there's no creativity, there's no development, there's no change, and we live happily ever after. It isn't going to be like that. There's no end to the acceleration and it gets steeper and steeper and steeper until, it, you know, until the systems really break down. Well, you you posed three possibilities of the breakdown, which I found mm -hmm. quite interesting. Three scenarios. Um, yep. <laughs> I'm trying to remember which they were. <laughs> well, the first was the Mars scenario, um, right? Whereby you 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 explained that one, and I'll remind yep. you of the others. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Mars scenario is sometimes also called the Venus scenario. Um, both planets we thought probably had water early on and Venus overheated and we think all the water evaporated off Venus and it's left as this very hot planet with these poisonous gases. Mars is much more desert, but we're finding signs that there probably was water there and life. We're expecting to find signs of life there. In fact, there was even evidence that life started on Mars and then got seeded to Earth. But the scenario is that if we move into serious, serious climate change where the temperature starts rising 10, 20, 30 degrees, and you can get this when all the methane's released yes. from 
the the Arctic bogs and from the hydrates in the sea, methane's twenty more times powerful greenhouse gas. Yes. You have a, you have a runaway greenhouse effect mm-hmm. where the temperature goes way beyond what any of us or any you know mammals or anything could survive. Life would continue existing, but as the temperature gets that hot. What happens is the hydrogen and oxygen molecules in the atmosphere, the water, they start getting broken down by the ultraviolet light and the hydrogen escapes into space. Mm-hmm. And so gradually the water is just lost into space. Now, this isn't something that's going to happen overnight or in our lifetime. That's something that happens over you know, periods of millions of years. But it could be that a runaway climate change could end up leaving the earth dry. It could be. It's not likely, but it's a possibility. We now understand how it is that a planet could lose its water vapor. Yeah, and some climate scientists even worry about what they call a methane burp, which is that there's a massive release release of methane, just as we're talking about things going exponential, as everything warms up, as the tundra melts, as the ice caps melt, etc. We don't know if there isn't some 50 gigaton methane burp waiting to happen yep. that could just yep. change the game so fast. I think, I mean, I think what has been true of our uh, understanding of climate change over the last 20, 30 years as it's unfolded is we don't understand anything. We've, it's been full of surprises and new realizations. So, yes, anything could happen. Yeah. And most of the, I mean, even the climate scientists who've been the most um, uh, forward-seeing, often their predictions have fallen short of how fast it's happening. Yes. This this is the most worrying thing. Almost, we've always had these range of predictions. Is it going to be in this range, 2 to 4%, whatever it is? And as time has gone on, we've always come out, the change has come out at the top end of the range. We've been underestimating the effects all along. Yeah, yeah. So the fir- that first scenario is basically um, scorched earth. Yeah. And then as I say, I, th- I think it's I think it's probably very unlikely, but it's there as a scenario. Yeah. And we won't be around to see it. Right. Um, so the second. You and, you, yeah, you and I won't be around to see any of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yes, I. I I uh, feel lucky in that regard, frankly. I'm sure you do too. Yeah. And yet I don't feel so lucky in the fact that I have a lot of little ones in my life who I yeah. love a yeah. lot and who you know, yeah. can't help but think about their future. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second scenario, you say slightly less disastrous, <laughs> um, but it's just a major sixth extinction, which will include us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um Speak a bit about that. Yes, I mean, so, this, so far there's been seen to be five major species extinctions caused probably by mainly extreme volcanic activity. One was thought to be caused by an asteroid or comet hitting the Earth, the one that took the dinosaurs out. And in those, you know, in the, the major one, um, the Cambrian one, they lost like something like 90 or 80, 90% of the species got extinguished in a very short time. And when you look at the rate at which we're losing species now, we're already in a new major species extinction. But this time, one that's initiated not by extreme volcanic activity or by a comet hitting, but just by human action on the planet. And 
with, I mean, I was looking at projections recently where a hundred years from now, and these again, the modest projections, a hundred years from now, basically the only areas of earth which are inhabitable and green are the bottom of South America, northern Canada, far reaches of northern Europe and northern Russia. That's it. Mm-hmm. The rest, the, what we call the temperate zones now, have all gone to desert. And okay, you know that we could be surviving in that, but it, it, it seems much more likely that most the most the higher animals will go. The food chains get so easily disrupted. I mean, in the oceans, we're seeing you know the yeah. the little tiny diatoms and things that start the food chain way way back in the coral reefs and things which you know, little fish feed upon the shrimps feed upon uh, which move up through the food chain when they start going and they are beginning to go we're losing coral reef at a massive rate the whole food chain collapses yeah. so it's not just the heat it's the it's very very subtle things just a slight change in the acidity of the ocean yeah because the ocean's absorbing slightly more co2 has a dramatic effect on the coral reefs and then that plays out all the way up through the food chain i mean and i've read that the pl- there's 40 40% of the plankton is gone i wouldn't be surprised yeah, yeah. Um, then, and then you know you and i've talked about this a bit um, the stresses on the, you know, um, environmental refugees, the, the massive populations that will be going to the places yes. that have, you know, have land and water left to grow food and have water. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. So and this, I mean, this is already happening. Yeah. Beginning. I mean, the refugee crisis in Europe at the moment is, you know, more from war, but there's clearly already a um, climate thing beneath that in yes, terms of just Syria, the hardship Syria's to been to in live. drought yeah. for 10 years now and, yeah. and the farmers yeah. all left the farms and went to the cities and it just put massive pressure yeah. on all those systems yeah and um, the, the first whenever there's serious drought this is borne out historically almost universally whenever there's serious drought people cannot live there anymore and there is serious migration Yes. And I think we're going to see it, you know, in North America, from Central America, we're already seeing, you know, the pressure for that. I think from Africa, Africa moving up into the Middle East, into Europe, into into Russia. Yes. So I think, you know, that is what we're seeing now in terms of migration um, is going to be small compared to the pressure when things, when, you know, major, major crop failures and people simply cannot survive there anymore yeah yeah it, i yeah. agree i think that's that is what we are seeing we're seeing the beginnings of it mm. not just the beginnings it's well on its way um and then and then people start need, needing to protect protect yeah. themselves and stop it happening and there's going to be you know political stuff wars who knows what over that and it's why in this country and in europe there's a lot of talk of closing the borders, you know, that's that's on the table yes, now. Yes, um, Yeah. And I think that will happen more and more. Yes, yeah. I do too. I do too. Um, okay, so the third scenario, this kind of doves into, dovetails into this conversation. Mm-hmm. The third st- scenario is that some humans would eke out some kind of survival in the few green regions um, mm-hmm. But we are thinking in in this essay, it's 
a small number. Yes, and I think these would be people, um, probably not so much indigenous peoples. I think they're probably quite vulnerable because they, mm -hmm. they can't move and, they, and their habitat's going to be affected. It's more, I call it sort of green high-tech arcs of yes. you know people who see it coming, who've got the money, and they can build you know communities up in northern Canada where they're all set up in terms of agriculture, growing their own food, technological production. Of course, they'll Maybe need an that. army. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I suspect, you know, I don't know, I suspect things like this are s quietly, people are planning this, yes. you know, secretly doing this. People who've got, you know, the more wealthy elites, it makes sense when you see what's coming. Absolutely. No, to I've, been, I've been hearing that. I, I, um, I heard uh, Alec Baldwin interviewed and he, he was saying that some very, very wealthy people he knows are essentially building bunkers and are stocking them and, yeah you know um, yeah but i think it's no good building a bunker in oklahoma because oklahoma is going to be desert yeah you know, we're talking 100 mm -hmm. years you know the bunkers the bunkers need to be in you know <laughs> finland northern canada russia yeah. or whatever yeah. or down in the bottom of chile yeah hmm. so but that but then with that scenario where does that really lead so yes you know these people they they may be able to you know, we can be maybe talking about thousands, tens of thousands, who knows, but a small fraction of humanity could be the seed that survives and survives for, you know, let's say even be generous. So they set it up well, they could actually survive there indefinitely. But where's, you know, it's like right. all they've done yeah. is they've, they've temporarily halted the acceleration, but they're going to be, they're going to be still on their own curve of, you know, there's going to be creativity, there's going to be things happening, strifes, there's going to be new challenges. Yeah. And it's like each new challenge becomes a problem we solve, but each problem we solve creates more. Historically, bring, creates another problem in its wake. Yeah. Same and, as it ever was. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they're just going to be, you know, in, I don't know, a thousand years' time facing a parallel sort of crisis of acceleration. The acceleration isn't going to go away. This yeah. is what we don't get. The so acceleration is intrinsic to any evolutionary process. Now, you and I have been involved in uh, a sense, we've been involved in going the opposite direction. <laughs> um, you know, going slower, um, having, having an appreciation for really the more quiet and uh, just the deeper you know, frequencies, um, of, mm -hmm. of life. Um, of course we fly around in airplanes and we do those things, but, but in terms of our, you know, we've, we've both been longtime students of Dharma, which in a sense is, is, it's contrary to the forward thrust of, and the speeding up, which has so much to do with acquisition, whether it be of stuff or mm -hmm. experience or just more in every possible direction. You know, this is a kind of, um, you know, intervention with, of, of, with that in terms of it stops the thrust or at least it mm -hmm. slows it down. Um so in looking at how we now spend our days, if any of these scenarios are to be, which 
each one seems plausible enough. Um, then how do we live with this with this in mind? How do we live with this sword of Damocles hanging over our heads? And, mm-hmm. and naturally, you know, I've I've written about this. Um, I, I've always had a sense of my own death. I mean, ever since I could remember, ever since I was a child, because my beloved grandmother died when I was seven. She was functioned as a mother to me. And um, so that was a huge, you know, uh, engagement with death that I had at a young age. Um, but what always scared me most was the thought of my species extinction. That was mm. way more scary to me. And any mm. of the movies that I ever saw over the years that had that as a component were always the most unsettling for me. Um, like On the Beach. Did you ever see that one? Mm. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, you know, so... Um, just coming to terms as we live here in this with this awareness how do we bear it that's a challenging question and there's there's a number of aspects to that for me um one what you're already touching upon you know we each accept our own deaths most of us do yeah. you know we're, we're realistic about that we don't know when don't know how don't know where but we're 100% certain it's going to happen unless you're Kurt's file and you're moving into a machine <laughs> um so we accept that and also through the acceptance of our death there can be liberation people hold on fighting i don't want to die don't want to die you know can be suffering a lot where the you know, I think time and again, we find people who accept death either by being in very precarious circumstances or with illnesses or other things or just through spiritual practice. There's a freedom that comes from that. And we are much more attached to the survival of our species, the idea that our species is meant to be here and is going to go on forever or for millions of years and it's going to then possibly transform into something else. This is such a deep, deep-seated view, deep-seated paradigm. And at the beginning of my essay, I say, you know, this, is, this essay is going to challenge some of your deep-seated views about human future. And I see that this, this is what happens to an intelligent, um, linguistic, technologically endowed species. It goes through this very rapid Evolution getting faster and faster and faster, creating not just destruction, but beautiful works of art and other things. And the creativity is like a cosmic flower blooming Mm -hmm. in the universe. And then it goes. Yeah. But it blooms in this beautiful sort of efflorescence of wisdom, consciousness, art, all the wonderful things we've created. And then it's gone. And it's like maybe that's just the way it is and if there's a way we can accept that Mm -hmm. in the same way we accept our own death accepting that there's nothing wrong with this there's nothing it's that this is just the way it is and maybe through that acceptance there can be some shift in consciousness some something i don't know what it is quite that can actually be more valuable than hanging on to the denial of what is happening. At the moment, I just see so much denial. People do not want to look at where we are. 
uh, well, it's just that if we could just get this sorted out, we'd be okay. If we just get the economy sorted out, if we just get nuclear weapons out of the way, if we just get the poor people, it's like just stop producing carbon, etc. Yeah. <laughs> yes, if, mm-hmm. if we just but, but accepting that actually we may be coming to the end of our species to deeply accept that. I don't know quite how it'll play out, but it could it could actually be very healing. And I know for me, once I sort of really accepted this for myself, there was actually a sense of freedom and mm-hmm. ease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Which has been very palpable. And I don't get upset about, you know, the shenanigans of every politician or right. this or that. It's right. like, me okay, yeah. this, is, this is just how it's unfolding. And yeah. how do I live my life in a way that's still, you know, taking care of the environment, taking care of the world I'm in, taking care of myself, taking care of the people I interact with, my community, um, still on my own, you know, path of inner journey awakening. That all seems totally valid and appropriate to be continuing with that. Yes, yes, indeed. That That's exactly how I see it as well, that in the acceptance um yeah there is something so liberating and so sort of tender and you kind of forgive everybody everything you know and you yeah. Yeah, and you watch this kind of grand show of of all the forms of denial you know yes and yes. um and you realize what drives that of course and mm. and we understand it you know i mean i do suspect that there'll come a point that denial is going to be hard to maintain. Um, I, yeah, I think that point is coming. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens at that point because I think a lot of people um, might not go the way of wisdom <laughs> in, no. in that. Um, but all the more reason for whoever can go that way to, to go that way they'll be yes. very very needed <laughs> i think i think there's going to be a lot of people there could be a lot of help needed yes. and i come back to i mean i think it was elizabeth kubler ross's stages of death that people go through when when a loved one dies or somebody dies i think it's like first of all there's denial it's when like you're it has, when you're dying yeah when, or when, when you're dying, dying yourself yeah or that's yeah and then and then there's denial, there's anger. I think it also applies to when somebody else dies. Yeah, I know probably. I went through a death and I probably was looking at so. it. Yeah. There was denial this had really happened. There was anger that the person had been taken away. Bargaining. And then there's the bargaining. Um, depression. And then, yeah, then the depression and final acceptance. Yeah. And I could see that happening on a mass level, like yes. we're in the denial. Yes. I think we are clearly in the denial of, you know, how bad things are and how rapidly things are deteriorating. Yeah. I think it could then come the anger. We're, we're in the anger already. It's the yes. anger. Oh, it's the politicians. It's the yeah. big corp. It's the, it's the corporations. Oh, it's this. It's the right. it's this section of society. It's like there's the anger of the people who are messing things up for the us. The global north versus yeah, the global south. W- and, yeah. Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, this maybe is where we're going to really need to put the spiritual work, the spiritual counseling, the wisdom into practice. Yes, I agree. I agree. Well, okay, my dear. Um, thank you so much for 
for being so clear in such a short time. This should be on the <laughs> evening news. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's going to create a lot of it's true. Maybe it, sh- anger. <laughs> it should not be on the evening news. <laughs> and well, also- that, is, that, is, that is a question. Mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, is this a view that really needs to be put out there to the public or not? I mean, it's, it's something I feel very strongly about. Um, I know. I, I, I struggle with that. I've been paralyzed about writing about it for several years now because mm. of that very question. What I've kind of come to, though, is for the people who are sensing it, um, it's very satisfying to know that that people are talking about it and to explore yeah. ideas as yeah. we are doing today. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for those people, very specifically, uh, it's hard to cherry pick them out of the crowd, but for those people, it's wonderful, you know. Mm. But for other people, it angers them, mm. you know. Yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> well, this has been lovely, lovely Absolutely. Dipping, our, dipping our toes into this into these water. waters and to be continued because yeah. I'm going to need you as one of my allies in this this has been In the Deep if you'd like to know more about my work book a private session by phone or Skype or make a tax deductible donation in support of these podcasts which would really help as it takes quite a lot of time and expense to produce them every week, please visit katherineingram.com. Till next time.